Thank you for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. Today's podcast is part three of our sermon series entitled Hero. Please enjoy. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. Part three of a series called Heroes. This will be the final part. And how many of you real quick have been here for at least one of the weeks over the last, yeah, yeah, yeah. How many of you have, you have not seen any of this? I'm visiting. I just showed up. I got tricked into being here. Something happened like that. Yeah. Um, well, this is part three of a series called Heroes, and we're excited that you're here today. It's, it's, I, you, you, if you're the first time here and you haven't been here in weeks or whatever, you're going you're gonna to fit right in. Don't worry about it. But we are on a track, on a series of talks. And on week one, we looked at the life of a guy named Gideon. And I love Gideon. Gideon's one of my favorite Bible characters because, well, he makes me feel like if he can do it, I can do it. He is uh, an insecure man. He's, he's kind of a, you know, just, he's not a man's man. He's not a heroic man. He's not an inspirational man. He's kind of an inferior man. And through all of his doubts, doubting himself, doubting God, just not sure of himself at all, he still accomplishes great things in life because Man, he just keeps taking these little baby steps towards trusting God. And if, at the end of it, he just kind of shows up. And in his obedience, God does incredible things with his life. And he just makes me realize, man, if Gideon can do it, I can do it. Last week, we looked at a guy named Caleb who is maybe the quintessential hero. He is, he is a man's man. This dude's, this dude's thuggish. This dude's bad to the bone. This dude would be an MMA fighter today if he were alive and well. And so um, this guy is the inspirational hero. He is the one that looks into the face of fear and danger and says, bring it. He's the one that looks at all the people that are afraid and says, come on, y'all bring it too. We can do this. We can overcome. God is with us. We are able. He's the inspirational hero who overcomes in life. Today we will find kind of a unique story in a guy named Daniel. If you have your Bible, go to Daniel chapter 1 with me today, and we're going to take a look at this guy's life and how really this guy, in my opinion, he's not necessarily the inspirational hero, all that that happens. He's certainly not the insecure hero. He would, as I would define it today, he's the unwavering hero. Daniel chapter 1, let's start reading there. The Bible says this, and we're going to read through and kind of cover some, some text. We're going to cover the history of it. It's a fascinating story, if you can follow along with me. The Bible says this, in the third year... Of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, that sounds pretty simple because they just summed up a whole bunch of stuff in one verse, didn't they? Let me paint the picture. Jerusalem, Judah, their own nation, their own city, the capital city. And guess what happens? They get taken. There's this evil empire, the galactic empire, you know, the Babylonians. Darth Vader is there, the the emperor is there, all these bad people are there. And they come in, and it makes it sound real simple, but they come in and they besiege the city of Jerusalem and they take it by force. And they take the entire uh, nation by force. Now here's what Nebuchadnezzar did, which was different than other kind of emperors of, you know, generally that time. Many times they would come in and just destroy and take slaves or they would destroy and then bring in their own people and set up camp and set up all these governments and bring things there. Nebuchadnezzar did something really, really brilliant, as you'll see here in a second. He actually, every country that he conquered, he took the brightest, sharpest, most intellectual people and said, I want you to come work for me. Check out how this goes. So the Bible says that the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his god, Marduk, in Babylon, and put the in the treasure house of his god. Then the king ordered... That guy, chief of his officials, 
He said, bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, good looking, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained there for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave him the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we pray, God, that we would just kind of jump into the story, that we would be able to see it, that we would picture it, that it would unfold in our hearts and minds. God, that we would maybe see ourselves in the story, that we would play along with the story, Lord God, and that through it you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you draw out your truth, God. This is what we pray today in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. Now again, what you see is this, is you see Babylon is the reigning empire of this era through history. Babylon is, is, is bad to the bone. They send out their troops. They conquer anywhere, anywho, anyhow, and they're not nice about it. And they take Judah. They take the city cap, the capital city of Jerusalem. And they bring back all the smartest, brightest, sharpest guys they got. And out of them, there's four guys that stand out. There's Daniel, who many of us know if we grew up going to church, or there's the good old Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That guy's got a cool name, doesn't he? If you're thinking baby names and you're like looking up books and going online, just consider that. Abednego. Um, These four guys seem to stand out and the writers begin to play on their lives. And we're not going to read the entire story. We won't even get into Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But what we see in the first chapter is that Daniel makes a very, very interesting decision that I think has a ripple effect into his future. See, here's what we we don't normally think about. How many of you think... There are spiritual things, and then there are just normal things. We think, well, prayer, I mean, that's kind of spiritual. Or or worship, that's spiritual. Or fasting, that's spiritual. There's certain things, that's spiritual. But there's just normal things. Do you know the Hebrew people had no concept of spiritual or normal? Everything's spiritual. Everything is. And I think one of the things that you see in the life of Daniel is this, is that one of the most spiritual things that you will ever do as a follower of Christ is this. Make decisions. You ever thought about that? Sometimes decision making is the most spiritual thing that you do. And when we see the life of Daniel, what we see is, is that he makes a decision very, very early on. As soon as he's in Babylon, he says, hey, hey, look, I'm not going to eat your food. I mean, no, like that doesn't seem like a courageous stand, does it? Like if you're going to be the hero, you think you're going to conquer, you're going to win, you would stand up and say, no, let my people go or whatever it is. You know what he stands up and says, no, I will not eat your good food. But I'm telling you, this decision sets the tone and sets the stage for huge things to come as you're going to see. But what we find is this, is that he just says no to the food. Now, here's here's what you need to know about Jewish people. Jewish people have strict dietary laws. That's what we have, kosher. There's a certain way that God instructed the people of Israel, said, I don't want you to eat food like this. It needs to be prepared like this. You can't eat these types of food and certainly don't eat 
you know, food sacrificed to idols and weird stuff like that. Well, how many of you know in Babylon, they would have had to have eaten all that stuff. It would not have been prepared right in the way that the Jewish people prepared it. Certain parts of it would have been just no-go. It wouldn't have been kosher. There'd have been some bacon on there. There'd have been some, some pork chops. And it would have been good. But anyway... And then lastly, because they worship Marduk and all these other gods, many times in these ancient cultures, what they would do is they would sacrifice to their gods, and then the people would eat the leftovers. And this was really, really good food. And so, so here you have Daniel stepping up and making what seems to be a fairly minor decision, doesn't he? He just says, look, I'm not going to compromise. I, I, I know it's a little thing. I'm not going to compromise on it. And he basically comes right out and says, I will not. The Bible says in verse 8, listen to these words. Daniel resolved. Another translation said that he made up his mind. Another one even says that he purposed in his heart. See, I'm going to give you a hint. I'm going to give you a huge key to making great decisions. One of the biggest things that you can ever do in terms of making decisions is to make a pre-decision. Now, that sounds weird. Everybody say that with me. Everybody say a pre-decision. All right, now everybody together a little bit louder. Everybody say a pre-decision. A predecision is a decision you make before you have to make the decision. That makes brilliant sense, doesn't it? A predecision is a decision that you make before you have to make a decision. And ultimately what he does right here is he comes out of the booth and says, you know what, there's just certain things I'm not going to bend, I'm not going to break, I'm not going to bow, I don't care where I'm at or who I... Because you've got to think, it probably would have been easy to justify this, right? You were like, look, you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans... Rome wasn't even built yet. But anyway, when in Babylon, do as the Babylonians. We, we, he could have looked at Shadrach and said, we need to fit in. We might lose our heads. We, we, why would we offend the king? I mean, come on, that's just stupid. Over some food, and I bet it's good. It's pork chops. And, and, and you know what? Why, why offend the king? I mean, this would be bad for our career, wouldn't it? I mean, this would just be, this would be poor Poor decision-making on our part is probably the way they could have justified it. And, and here's what I've come to determine. When I look at all the compromises that I've ever made in my life, this is so huge, somebody needs to write this down. This is what it is. When I make compromises, what I find is this, is that I begin to interpret Scripture through my circumstances instead of interpreting my circumstances through Scripture. Did somebody get that? Y'all need to put that on the screen. When we make little compromises, and that's what we do. Many times we know right and wrong. I mean, most of the time you don't need me to come up here and tell you. You know 95% of you already know what's right and wrong, what you ought to do and not ought to do. But the problem is is we, we take what we know we ought to do or what God's truth commands or what we know he would favor us with, and we say, but you know what? I mean, I, do you know how much money I'd miss out on? They would get ahead of me. I mean, there's just some things that would cause me discomfort. That would, that I would lose pleasure over this. I mean, come on. And what we do is we begin to take our, our circumstances and we lift it above scripture and we interpret it inverted, don't we? Versus saying, no, 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 no. Here's scripture. Now I'm going to put everything through it. Doesn't matter what my circumstances are. I submit, I submit myself to scripture. I don't submit myself to circumstances. Are you flowing with me today? And so the only way that you can do this though is to go back and make what? Predecisions. Let me let me give you an example. These are just a few of the predecisions that me and my wife have made over the years. Um, one of the predecisions that we made was is that we're going to tithe off of every dollar we ever get. Any type of income, we're going to tithe off of. So tithing for us has never been a decision. It was a predecision. Does that make sense? We don't get a paycheck and be like, babe, should we this week? 
you know, bills, the credit, we got this, I don't know. No, it's a predecision. It's something that we determined a long, long time ago that we were just going to do. And therefore, when it comes to decision making, we don't make decisions. We've already made a, a predecision. Do you, do you see how this helps you out in life? I'll give you another one. I made a decision as a pastor that I would not go anywhere. And I think this is good across the board. This is not a pastoral thing. This is a, a, a dude thing. I made a predecision that I wasn't going to go anywhere with the opposite sex alone. That's just a predecision. I don't go anywhere with the opposite sex alone. It doesn't matter if it's business. I just don't do it. It doesn't matter. They really need my help. They really need, they need counseling. If you need counseling, we leave the door open. If, 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 you know, and that's just the way it is. And the reason why I did that was because I never want, well, number one, I don't want her to do that. That's never even been an issue. And I know she wouldn't want me to do that. And I wouldn't want to create the insecurity or create the, the doubt or create an opportunity. And this is what the Bible says in, in Ephesians 4.27. There's some real interesting there. It says, don't give the devil a foothold. Because many of us, we, we, we look at the devil and we think, man, if I went out there and I you had a bottle of Jack Daniels in one hand and a 357 in the other, I, I could go crazy for the devil. Yeah, that's not what the scripture says. I mean, that's kind of like common sense. Don't do that. Don't go off the deep end, people. He says, you know what's actually better? Don't even give him a foothold. Don't, don't let him in just the littlest bit. And then here, here's another predecision that we decided to make. We, we looked at as our kids got older, how many activities come up and every kid's got a sport or a thing or a dance or a recital or something like that? And we made a predecision that basically said if, if the activity would cause us to miss church or cause them to miss church on a Sunday morning, we just don't do it. So it's not like, oh, but that's a really big recital and oh, she's going to get a prize and oh, everybody's depending on her. Oh, everybody's, it doesn't matter. It's a predecision. And the predecision helps me from make, and here's, here's the reality. If you don't make predecisions, you will eventually make Poor decisions. Can I get an ouch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I? And so here, here's the question that we all, when we begin to look at the life of Daniel, it, 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 it forces us to, to ask this question. Are there any areas of compromise in my life? Not necessarily big ones. Usually it starts with the little ones, doesn't it? What are the little, con and usually they're just little white lies. You know what I mean? I don't know what that means. Little white lies. Uh, they're, they're little moral compromises. They're little, and maybe it's in our, our finances, or maybe it's in, like I said, moral decisions, or maybe it's just in our family life, but there's these little compromises that I would say that we need to all ask the question, is there something, because I see Daniel is the unwavering hero. Because here's the deal, when we make little compromises, eventually we make big compromises. Let's keep reading. So the Bible says, in verse number nine, everybody say, now God. That's not on the screen yet. We'll get there. Verse number nine, everybody say, now God. This is where you, God intervenes. God interjects himself into the story as a result of Daniel's decision making. The Bible says in verse nine, now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, he goes, I'm afraid. I appreciate that God's with you, but I'm afraid of my Lord, the King, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The King would then have my head because of you. Verse number 11, Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mashiel, and Azariah, he said, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. And so he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. 
Verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. You know why? Atkins. I'm just kidding. Hey, man, I'm telling you what, every year our church does a 21-day fast, and a lot of people will do a Daniel. How many of you have ever done a Daniel's fast out there before? I'm telling you what, eight-pack abs are coming when you get on the Daniel's diet. I'm telling you, do, man, it, it will shred you. It, just never mind. Let's keep going. That was just a hint. If you, forget Atkins and Jenny this or points that. I'm t- just go Daniel. Daniel will clean you out. So anyway, so the Bible says, after he agreed to this, that at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nursed than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Now, I don't know about you, but like if I'm one of the other dudes that I'm not Daniel and I'm not Jewish and I'm just one of the, I'm hacked off right now. Like, I'm assuming Daniel may have had to fear for his life at this moment, because the other guys would have been so hacked off. Man, I had cheesecake. I had them pork chops. I had ribs. I had good food. I had the king's food. And because of your dumb decision and your eight-pack abs, I'm stuck with vegetables and water. I'm just saying, as I read the story, it jumped out at me that these guys were probably incredibly upset. Side note. Verse 17. So these four young men... Or to these four young men, God gave. Everybody say that. Everybody say God gave. See, you see the, you see the whole story begin in verse 9 with now God. And here's what you'll find is when you don't compromise in little decisions, you give God an opportunity for some now God moments. If you ever want God to operate in your life, you've got to just trust him. You've got to go for it. You've got to be a little bit uncompromising and unwavering so that you can have a now God moment. This whole thing shifts on what seems to be an incredibly minor decision, doesn't it? And then because of this, look what happens now. So the Bible says that because of these young men's unwavering, uncompromising, steadfast decisions, that God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Meshiel, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And this is an amazing story. Here you see these guys because of a pre-decision, because of an uncompromising, unwavering uh, decision to say, I'm going to do what's right just because it's right, because I want to honor God. God favors them. He gives, he says, look, I'm just going to make y'all not just slightly above everybody else, 10 times better than everybody else. The magicians, the enchanters, the, the, all the weird demonic, weird stuff that these guys, you're going to be better than. You're going to be smarter than. Yeah, I'm going to favor you. And here's what you'll see to be true, is that when we make great decisions like this, let me put it like this, and you can put this on the screen. When you do the right thing, even when no one is watching, you invoke the favor of God. These guys could have easily justified not doing it. They could have, and would God have smoked them or been mad? Probably not. I don't think so. But God saw something in them and said, if they don't compromise on little things, I'll be able to trust them with big things. 
And because of this, I can favor them. Why? Because if I favor them with knowledge and understanding, I know that they won't compromise with it. They won't leverage it for their own cause, that they won't abuse the wisdom and knowledge and understanding that I give them. But I can trust these guys. They don't compromise on the little things. And if they don't compromise on the little things, they won't compromise on the big things. Isn't this the story of the, of the frog and the kettle? Have you ever heard the story of the frog and the kettle? It's, it's ultimately a, a terrible, evil, eight-year-old science project where you put a frog inside a kettle of water. And immediately, you just turn on the flame. But you don't turn it all the way up. You just turn it on a little bit. And you slowly heat the kettle. Has anybody ever heard this before? And you would think a frog would jump out. You know, you would think, this is, this is not good. This is frog legs for dinner kind of a situation here. And, but they, they, he doesn't jump out. And so they just turn it up a little bit by little bit, little bit by little bit, little by little bit, until ultimately the frog dies. And here's why. It's because the frog only thinks the big things are worth jumping away from. But if you take little compromise after little compromise after little compromise, you eventually end up dead. And it's kind of a story. It's an illustration to say, what little compromises am I making in my life that might bring death, destruction my way in the future? Or could it be that if I don't falter and I don't waver on the little compromises that God would bless me with much? In Daniel, you kind of see this idea. I'm not going to compromise. And I don't even care who it offends. Because at some point, you have to ask yourself that question. You're either going to offend some people around you or you're going to offend God. And who's going to be more important or less important that I offend? And he basically says, I'm not going to offend God. He set the dietary laws. I'm just going to obey them. I'm not going to argue with them. I'm not going to justify it. I could make up a bunch of good excuses and everybody would probably give me a pass. But I'm not going to do it because I don't want to offend God. And how many know sometimes our decisions work like that? Sometimes our decisions would offend other people. Or we can offend God. And you have to think about all the great heroes of the Bible. And you think, you know what? They don't care. They're a little bit fearless about offending people. You ever thought about that? Like when you watch the life of Jesus, did Jesus ever have an issue offending the Pharisees? He's rather harsh. I mean, you see him blessing the children and feeding the poor and doing all this. He gets to the Pharisees. He goes, you brood of vipers. You're like whitewashed tombs on the inside. You're full of dead men's bones. I mean, he says some pretty gnarly stuff. You wouldn't put that on a plaque in your house. You know, that kind of, that stuff doesn't go on bumper stickers. Brood of vipers. I mean, he goes off because he doesn't care. He doesn't care about it. Do you think Moses was afraid of offending, offending Pharaoh? Well, actually, he was a little bit, but he did it anyway. Sometimes you should be afraid and still do it. Can I get an amen? When you look at John the Baptist, was he, was he afraid of offending Herod? No, and it got him killed for it. When you watch the, uh, the life of Apostle Paul, he wasn't afraid of offending anybody. He made lots of people mad. Why? Because ultimately, I'm either going to have to offend God with my decisions and actions, or I'm going to make some other people mad about it. I'm just going to go with making them mad. I'd just rather not have God mad at me. I don't want the favor to lift off me. I just don't want to insult God or offend God or, 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 or sin against God. I just won't do it. There's another guy. His name's Martin Luther. And you know, he didn't care about offending the Catholic Church. There's this, there's this moment in time where he looks at what the Catholic Church is doing, and in this moment in time, the Catholic Church is basically selling forgiveness. If, if your loved one died, they were stuck in purgatory, but you could buy them out and get them out. Or if they went to hell, you could buy them out and get them out. Now, how many know that's a great money-making deal? If I can leverage eternity, I can get a lot of money out of you, right? Because nobody wants to go to hell. At least I hope. 
And so literally this was their, this was kind of the, the scam that they were running. They were saying, hey, look, if you give enough money, <laughs> we can get them out. And again, for people who were uninformed, you have to remember this was a day and time where the common people did not have the Bible written in their own language. That Pope was given equal authority with all Scripture. And so who were they to argue? They wouldn't know any better. And so Martin Luther, this kind of unknown monk, reads the Bible. He's an educated man. He reads the Bible, and he determines, well, this, uh, this wasn't his words, like, this is stupid. This is inaccurate. This is wrong. And so he writes 95 points of argument. It's what we kind of know now as the 95 thesis that was, was basically um, hammered onto the door of the church to say, hey, look, and here, here's what you need to know about Martin Luther. He wasn't trying to make this big, huge proclamation worldwide. He was saying, I'm going to confront you, and we're going to throw down and have a debate. It wasn't even meant to be that big of a deal. Because heroes, again, they don't really know they're being heroes in the moment they're making these decisions. But he stood up and said, hey, I got 95 issues with you. We need to chat about this. Well, of course, it makes such a splash and such a big deal that everybody finds out about it. People start making copies of the 95 Thesis and spreading it around. And all of a sudden, this big fuss blows up. So they have this huge thing. It's called the Diet of Worms. Isn't that weird sounding? It's actually a city named Worms, and a diet's a political term for just a, 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 a political gathering. So it's called the Diet of Worms. They gather him there, and they start drilling him, and they start telling him, you, you, we're, we're going to label you a heretic. We're going to throw you in prison. You, you, you're going to get it. You are totally off base. You are totally off board. You are coming against the Catholic Church, and you have offended us. This is what he says. He says, my conscience is taken captive by God's word. I cannot and will not recant anything. For to act against our conscience is neither safe for us, for us, nor open to us. On this I take my stand. I can do no other. God help me. I love the ending of it, don't you? Like, I'm going to take a stand. I will not falter. I will not. But Lord, I really need you to back me up right now. <laughs> I just want you to know, like, I'm, I'm going for it either way. But I'd really appreciate it if you'd bail me out right about now. I love that. The hero is aware. He is risking something great. He's risking his life. He's risking his life in prison. And now, but, but God, if you would please just jump in. And, and sure enough, he, he ends up not going to prison. Some things unfold there. But what you'll see is this, is that he makes a bold stand to say, you know what? I'm either going to offend you or I'm going to offend God. I choose you. I'm not going to waver. I'm not going to compromise. What you're doing is immoral and wicked, and I, I'm just not going to put up with it anymore. And this is the deal. He says, my conscience is taken captive by God's word. How many of us could say that? And isn't this how we make pre-decisions? And this is, isn't this how we make righteous and godly decisions? We ultimately get to step back and say, look, this is a non-issue. My conscience is taken captive by the word of God. This doesn't even matter. I can't. I'm going to offend God. If I choose between offending God or offending you, I'm going to choose you every day of the week. My conscience is taken captive by the word of God. How many of us can say that? Which would beg the question, how much of God's word is in me? Is it something that's a part of my daily life? Is it a part of something that I study and I read and I apply and I dig through to discover God and his truth and his principles and his life and what he wants to say to me? Is my heart taken captive by his words? Because if it's not, it becomes incredibly difficult to make righteous decisions and pre-decisions. It makes it incredibly hard to not compromise in the face of fear. 
Now, I told you that this little decision that Daniel makes to not eat some food has a ripple effect. Are you ready to see the ripple? Daniel chapter 6, the story and the plot thickens. So in Daniel chapter 6, what happens is, is we move forward in time decades. I mean, we're assuming that Daniel was taken captive around the age of 20. And that this, the, the Bible goes on to say that roughly about 60 years later, this new story is going down. And it's found in Daniel chapter 6. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Read it on your own. It's a fascinating story. Here's what takes place. Daniel chapter 6, Daniel has elevated up to where he is one of the three governors that rule underneath Nebuchadnezzar. There's basically like three or four guys that rule underneath him. He's one of them. He's at the top of the heap because of how God favored him. Well, these other guys don't like Daniel. And so they plot, and they say, you know what, let's get this guy. So they start digging. They're like the paparazzi, like, let's find some dirt. Let's find some nastiness. Let's find some, uh, let's find some compromise in his life. And they can't find any. So they decide, well, let's create a scenario. So they go to the king, and they say, king, we have this brilliant idea, because you're so awesome. We want to declare that for 30 days, no one can worship any other god but you and you alone, because you're awesome. And so sure enough, the, the king and his mom was like, that's a great idea. I don't know why I haven't thought of that. And, and, and so sure enough, they make this decree. Now, now listen to what happens here. Daniel chapter 6, verse number 10. On the day, listen to this. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. That's a predecision, isn't it? Just as he has done before. Before. So here you see Daniel. There's this edict that says you can't pray, you can't worship, you can't do any of this other stuff. Here's my thought. I'm just reading into the story. This is a Toddism, so just bear with me here. This is not doctrine. But here's my thought. I think Daniel opened the windows on purpose. I think Daniel was irritated. I think Daniel might have prayed louder that day than on normal days. Because you've got to remember that Daniel, 60 years ago, had purposed in his heart. He had made a predecision. I'm not going to compromise. And if I offend you, I really don't care. But I'm certainly not going to offend my God. And he made that decision so long ago. And I think that thing had carried him through. And he had seen the favor of God. And he'd seen the blessing of God. He said, look, I, I am fully aware God is for me. And that God is with me. And you're going to tell me not to pray to my God? Mm, I'll just offend you, I guess. So he opens up the doors, and I think he even prays a little bit louder on that day. And so sure enough, what happens, and if, if you went to church as a kid, and you had flannel graph Jesus, and you heard all the Bible stories when you were a kid, you kind of know that this is the story that we call Daniel and the, yeah, Daniel and the lion's den. And so sure enough, because of the, the, the decree that the king had said and published, basically he had to punish Daniel. And the Bible's clear. He didn't even want to. He liked Daniel. And he said, because I did it, I've, I've got to follow through on it. And so they throw him into this pit of hungry lions. Now, here's what I find crazy. It's 60 years later, and he's probably about 20 years old when he's captured. How old is Daniel now? He ain't no spring chicken no more, are you? You know, if you're going to throw me in the, den, in the lion's den, you think, if I'm 20, I can still, I, I got some speed, I got some quickness, I can survive for a good 10 minutes, maybe. You know, like, I, I have a chance. 80 years old? Maybe, maybe the lions looked at him and was like, wow, he's been on that Daniel's diet for 60 years. He's pretty scrawny. He's kind of old. That might be kind of gamey. I don't know that we want to eat that anyway. I don't know, I don't know what happened. The Bible says that, that God sent an angel to close the mouth of the lion. I'm going to go with that because that's what Scripture says. My idea was a little 
cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But anyway, so the Bible says that Daniel survives an entire night in a den of lions because God shut the mouth of the lions. And sure enough, the whole night, the Bible says the king doesn't sleep. He's praying. He's sweating it out. Oh, my God, I just killed Daniel, my boy. And so they open up the cave, and sure enough, there's Daniel. I don't know if he's, like, petting him. I was like, hey, what's up? We took you guys so long. It's like 630. What are you doing? I don't know what he did. But the king is so moved. Listen to this. The king is so moved by what took place and how the fact that Daniel survived. Listen to what he does. He basically decides. He goes, guys, write this down. We're sending this to the entire empire. Every place we rule and reign, you're sending this out there to be proclaimed. And this is the words that were proclaimed. So the Bible says that then, this is uh, Daniel 6 verse 25. It says, then King Darius wrote to all nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. Now, that's some peoples. I mean, that's some influence. That's, that's a big platform. He says, I'm going to send this out to every language in all the earth, to all peoples. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues... And he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. All the earth, all peoples, all languages. Why? Ripple effect. See, little decisions help you make big decisions. Pre-decisions prepare you for fear and prepare you for the the face of of compromise, saying, what am I going to do? Who will I offend? How is that going to all go down? What if they're mad at me? What if they don't like me anymore? Maybe this this makes me look bad. Maybe I don't get that promotion, but I've got to choose here whether I'm offending God or offending people sometimes. And Daniel is the unwavering hero that says, no, 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 listen, just trust me. In the short term, it may penalize you, but in the long term, it'll favor you. In the long term, there will be a ripple effect, the likes of which you'll never know. Because here's the reality. When you compromise, you never know what God might have done. Let me say that again. When we compromise, we go through life and we never know what God might have done had we been the unwavering hero. Last thought, and we'll close here and and go to what we all know is coming, hopefully. And um, Last thought is this. In 1960, there was a, a scientist, he was a meteorologist named Edward Lorenz uh, from MIT. He is the guy who coined the phrase that we all are very, very familiar with. It was based off of this study and this research that he did. How I many you know meteorologists are always trying to predict the weather? And they're terrible at it, aren't they? Let me tell you why they're terrible at it. The reason why they're terrible at it is because there's only so far that you can predict in the future and still get it right. What Edward Lorenz proved at MIT was, is while he, and he did it on accident, he was inputting all the numbers to say, if these numbers stayed consistent, what will the weather be out far, this far, this far, and this far? And one day, he was in a little bit of a hurry, and so he took um, the fourth, the thousandth place of the decimal, after the decimal, and he basically just forgot to put that number in. And he thought, oh, well, that's not a big deal, and I got to go. I just won't put that last number in, and I won't go back and fix it, and I'm sure it'll all work out the same. And what he had found was is that the weather was drastically different. After missing the one one thousandths after the decimal point and missing that one number, which he equated to, that would be the amount of wind produced by the whiff of a butterfly's wing. That's what we refer to now as the butterfly effect. The butterfly effect basically says that 
little things, little causes, little decisions have incredible consequences and changes out in the future. Here's what I believe. I believe that when you look at the life and the story of Daniel, he made one seemingly insignificant decision to say, I will not compromise and I will not waver. And God sets something in motion. God blesses, God favors, God gives increase. He puts him up to the highest place outside of the king that he could possibly elevate him to. He even brings about, because he knows he can trust Daniel, a situation in which Daniel will either choose to die or choose to honor God. He goes, that's that's my boy. I know that he's with me. He does the same thing with Job. If you read the story of Job, the the devil comes to to God and says, the only reason he likes you is because you favor him. He goes, no, 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 Job's my boy. Watch this. You can do anything to, he will still love me because he knows my heart and I have his. And that was the same relationship that he saw in Daniel, that Daniel doesn't compromise in little decisions. He won't compromise in big decisions. So you can face him with death or whatever and I will rescue and save. And then all the empire is fully aware and fully engaged that the God of Daniel is the one true living God because of a ripple effect, a butterfly effect. Here's the question that I have for you. What pre-decisions do you need to make today? could be moral decisions, could be financial decisions, it could be in, in, in certain family and relational decisions that you need to make. What decisions do you need to make today that will have a ripple effect in your future? What areas of your life are you compromising that you know you're missing out on some now God moments? You're missing out on some favorable moments of what God wants to do in your life. I'm telling you this, that what Daniel shows for us is the blueprint that says little decisions make big effects and big results into your destiny. Let's make sure that we're making good, godly, righteous predecisions. Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. Never, never, never underestimate the significance of one good decision. Never, never, never underestimate the significance of one good decision. Father, we pray that today, Lord God, that you would just help us to be fully aware that you are with us and that you are for us. God, let us be taken captive by your word. Let our conscience be taken captive by your word so that we don't waver and we don't move and we don't compromise on little things, Lord God. We wanna see your greatness in our life. We wanna see your best unfold in our life, God. Isn't that what you said, Jesus? You said that you'd come that we might have life and life to the fullest, but I think some of us might be missing that life because of small decisions, Lord God. God, we pray that we would make some big decisions in our life, some little decisions in our life, God, that would reap some huge results, Lord God. Challenge us, Holy Spirit. Speak to us. Help us today, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. Yeah, give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Now, let me switch gears on you real quick here. If you're taking medicine, it's 1117. Hang tight with me because we have something very, very important to do. If you have been here over the last couple of weeks, God moved on, on my heart and the leadership of this church, and we, we, we just saw an incredible opportunity to make what was probably in the big scheme of eternity a fairly small decision. But it was this. It was that we wanted to take on a project to build a well in Rwanda, Africa. And we felt like, you know what, as an individual, we might not be able to pull that off. Some of you could, but as a church, collectively, we could. And we might even be able to build one or two or even three wells. But here's the deal, is, is we presented this to you just a, a few weeks ago. We said, hey, I want you to begin to pray, God, what would you have me do? God, what would you have me give towards helping someone who doesn't have the ability to help themselves and could never pay me anything in return? Because what we discovered during this series is this, is that 
you and I will probably never get thrown into a pit of lions. I hope you don't. No, many of us will never have to face a great army. Many of us will never have to, to stare down our own people and maybe being stoned to death. We, we'll probably never be faced with some of those situations and become a, a, a gigantic biblical hero. We probably won't get that opportunity, but, but we have the opportunity to be a hero to someone. And here's what I want for you and me. I want for you and me that when we get on the other side of eternity, I want somebody to walk up to me and say, hey, you had no idea and you didn't ever know my name. You never saw my face, but you made a decision a long time ago, a pre-decision even to say, you know what? When you have the opportunity, you'll move and you'll act and you'll do something for people who can't do it for themselves. And because of that, I'm here today. Because of that, I had fresh drinking water. Because of that, and we have this incredible opportunity. So I want you to watch this video, and we'll come back in just a minute. We're going to receive a one-time special offering towards this cause. Check this out. We have that opportunity to partner with Charity Water, which is a great organization, very trustworthy. Somebody asked me that last week. You, you feel calm. Absolutely. It's one of the best organizations in the world right now at getting water to people in the earth. There's an interesting scripture where Jesus says, even if you give a cup of water to a child, will you not be rewarded? There's an interesting scripture, and I want to put this one up on the screen. I think this scripture speaks volumes. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah begins to talk about a, a, a great king. His name was Josiah. And look what he says about Josiah. If you'll put this on the screen for me. The Bible says that Josiah judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well was not this knowing me, says the Lord. Another translation said that he defended the cause of the poor and the needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? Let's just read the Bible. How many of us really would say, man, I want to know God? What Jeremiah is saying is this, is that when you, when you help the poor and the needy, that as crazy as it sounds, that's knowing God. You don't believe me? Go read the words of Jesus. Jesus is gathering people. He's separating sheep from goats, and he's saying, hey, why didn't we get in? Some goats are upset. They're like, why didn't we get in? And he goes, well, because I was poor. You didn't help me. When I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me any water. And they looked at him and they said, Jesus, what are you talking about? You've never been poor. You've never been needy. You've never been thirsty. What are you talking about? And he goes on to say, well, here's some other people that when they saw poverty, they acted. And when they saw people who didn't have water, they acted. And they saw people who were hungry, they were acted. And you didn't know this, but when you did it for the least of these, you were actually doing it for me. It's the same concept that when we look into the face of people who cannot help themselves, and have no way of repaying you anything in return. Listen to me. When you act on that, when you move in compassion, he goes, that is knowing me. Here's why. It's because a long, long time ago, there were a whole massive group of people called humanity. And they were so lost and so without hope, they couldn't do anything for themselves. And so you know what I decided to do? I decided to give of myself to do something for them that they could not do for themselves and could never pay me anything in return. That is knowing the goodness and kindness and the compassion of God. That's why moments like these is where you truly get to know God. And you say, Todd, that's simple. This is just me giving an offering or giving a check. No, this is looking into the face of God. This is making a, a ripple effect. One small decision that changes the life and destiny and future for someone. So our challenge as a church was, God, what would you have me do? 
God, what would you have me give? What could I do to be a part of this great project? And so if you're here today and, and this is your first time here, you're so welcome to join us. But you know, this isn't a guilt thing. This isn't a pressure thing. Don't give out a compulsion. You give because you feel compelled to give. You give because you want to give. You give because, yes, I believe in this cause. For you, some of you, you say, I can't do much. That's okay. God's not judging the amount. But you say, I want to do something. Then just do whatever you can. For some of you, it, it is something significant. There's some of you who could write and then check an entire well for $5,000. You could write one check and it'd be done and over with. Now, I'm not putting that pressure on you. I just want you to ask the prayer, God, what would you have me do? What would you have me give towards this great opportunity and towards this great cause? As you prepare, continue to do what you do. What you do. We're just going to make one check out to JTV, and then we'll send this all through Charity Water, and we will build as many wells as possible. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me one more time. If you're preparing, keep going. said that Josiah defended the cause of the poor and the needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. God, today we declare we want to know you. God, we want to know you. We want to be connected to what you're connected to. We want our heart to break for the things that break your heart. So, Father, I thank you for this great group of people who in in faith today, say we want to give towards the cause of the poor and the needy, to do something for someone who couldn't do it for themselves and could pay us nothing in return, Lord God. Today we count it a privilege to do that. We count it an honor to do that. I pray that no one would give out of guilt or compulsion, but God, we would give because we're moved in our heart towards knowing you and helping others, God. That is our prayer today. In Jesus' name. Can a good gospel amen out there be said? Amen. Thank you again for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. For more information on Jubilee Tri-Valley Church, please visit us online at jtvchurch.org.